Hey everybody, Steve here. Hey, as a lot of you know, I love languages. Um, I studied a field in school called Romance Philology, which is the study of the origins of Romance languages, which you study by reading the literature of the early days of language development for the region you're interested in, and then tracking how words and phrases and grammatical structures emerge. It's a lot more interesting than it sounds. Anyway, I still study languages, not so much so that I can speak them, but so that I can understand where they came from. That's important because language, to me anyway, is the window into the soul of a country or a culture. It's been said that great writers from a particular place or time period open a vein and bleed onto the paper, spilling their soul, and in the process, illuminating the culture that they represent. So, from my studies of language, in fact, I don't even want to say studies because that makes it sound a lot more academic than it is. Let's call it my awareness of an interest in language. I sometimes hear things that I want to share. So, for this short episode, I'm going to do that. This is more of a storytelling session about language, so sit back and get comfortable. I think you'll like this. When we lived in Spain, my dad fell in love with the Spanish language to the point that he wrote his own dictionary. I should say he is writing his own dictionary because he's still working on it. It will never be completed. It's not just a regular dictionary either. For example, shortly after we arrived in Spain, we bought a used car, a Spanish Seat. That's the Spanish equivalent of the Fiat. And not long after we got it, it started to have some trouble. The clutch was slipping. So my dad took it to the shop and tried to explain the problem. Now, good luck finding the clutch is slipping in any dictionary. It, it, it's not there. So over the years, what he did was he set about collecting hundreds of phrases and terms that don't typically show up in dictionaries, but that are critical for daily life. Now, I'm going to diverge here for just a moment. When we finally found a house in Madrid when we first moved there, it came with a young woman who had worked for the family that lived in the house before us. We sort of inherited her. Her name is Loli, and she very quickly became part of my family, to the point that my parents were the guests of honor at her wedding, and her son is named after my dad. She's basically my sister. My mom used to walk around with this little red Collins pocket dictionary so that when the smiles and the pantomimes and the hand gestures and napkin drawings failed, she could resort to the little red book, El Libro Rojo, as Loli called it. Well, my mom would inevitably set it down on the counter somewhere and Loli would hide it, forcing my mom to use Spanish until a complete impasse formed, at which point Loli would go retrieve it from whatever hiding place she kept it in. My mom would tell you to this day that it was Loli who taught her Spanish, not all those Berlitz lessons she went through. Anyway, back to my dad's dictionary. He started writing the thing in 1969, and he's still working on it today. He's been retired for a long time, so he also teaches English as a second language, does translations, and works as a volunteer in his local hospital translating between English and Spanish at a diabetes clinic. He's in his 90s, by the way, and he's more active than I am. So he recently had a conversation with a Hispanic man at the hospital. He was translating between that man and the dietitian who asked the guy to write down what he typically ate at each meal. For breakfast, he wrote Pina Barra, P-I-N-A-B-A-R-R-A. Now, piña is the Spanish word for pineapple. So when my dad saw what he'd written, he assumed it was some kind of fruit, but he didn't know what barra was. And so the guy looked at him after he asked, and he said, you know, what you put on toast. And then he got it. Pina barra was peanut butter. With his Hispanic accent, the man phonetically wrote down what he heard as a non-native speaker, so peanut butter became pina barra. I love that. That, to me, is the music and the magic of language. 
Here's another one. One morning, one of the men in my dad's office came to him and asked what a pigeon toad looked like. My dad was puzzled and pointed his toes together and walked like a pigeon. The guy slapped his head and said, oh, I thought it was a kind of a toad. (laughs) Here's another one from the Spain archives. Shortly after we moved over there, a major American company began to sell its products in Spain. They make shampoos, soaps, toothpaste, antiperspirants, stuff like that. Anyway, they hired a translator who had at least two weeks of experience translating between English and Spanish, and they asked whoever this was to translate their tagline from their flagship antiperspirant product, which said, use this product and you'll never be embarrassed in public again. Now, funny thing about languages, they all have something called false cognates, which are words that sound like a similar word in another language, but that have very vastly different meanings. For example, in English, we have the word exit. In Spanish, there's a similar word, exito, but it doesn't mean exit. It means success. Well, when the translator got to the word embarrassed, whoever this was assumed that the Spanish verb embarazar, which is spelled kind of like embarrassed, meant the same thing. Nope. When the translation appeared on billboards, subway trains, on-air broadcasts, and magazines, it proclaimed that if you use this antiperspirant, you'll never get pregnant in public again. Go figure. Years later, after returning home from a few years abroad, my parents took another international assignment and ended up over in Zagreb, Croatia, part of what used to be called Yugoslavia, for about nine years or so. My dad's company had an alliance with the local Croatian oil company, and his counterpart was a pretty nice guy named Tony. Tony spoke very good English, except when he didn't. He had a habit of teaching himself American phrases, most of them slang, and then using them in conversation with his American colleagues, sometimes, but not always correctly. For example, one day, Tony and my parents were driving from Zagreb down to Dubrovnik on business. Tony was driving, and it's a long drive. They'd been at it for several hours when suddenly he swerved off the road and stopped the car. He turned around and said to my mom, I am so sorry. Where are my manners? We've been driving for hours without a break. Would you like to get out and spread your legs? Well, my mom knew, of course, that what he meant to say was, would you like to get out and stretch your legs? But that's not what he said. Friendly people, those Croatians. Now, I even fell victim to the trap. It happened on a business trip to Argentina, during which I learned that being fluent in Spain doesn't necessarily mean that I'm fluent in Argentina. A group of us were trying to figure out how to get to a local restaurant that evening for dinner. Uh, As I listened to the back and forth sort of discussion for a few minutes, I finally said, listen, I think I'm just going to take the bus. Well, the room fell dead silent, and they all turned and looked at me. My friend Barbara suggested we take a break, which we did. During the break, she explained to me what I had said. In Spain, there's a verb, coger, C-O-G-E-R, which means to grab or to take. It's one of the most useful and versatile verbs in the Spanish language. And that's true as long as you're in Spain. But in Argentina and quite a few other places in Latin America, it means something very different. When I proclaimed to the group what my public transportation preference was for the evening, by using the verb coger instead of tomar, the other verb, T-O-M-A-R, I matter-of-factly told them that I intended to do unspeakable things to the tailpipe of a bus. Okay, the big finish. This is one of my all-time favorite stories, and it's another one from my dad. A few months ago, he was working with a woman from El Salvador. 
She was about to take her exam for citizenship and had worked really hard to learn all of the history and civics and geography and so on that you have to know to pass the test. Her husband, who was already a U.S. citizen, was helping her study, and he created flashcards for her to use as part of her preparation. So one day during one of their sessions, she asked my dad if he would quiz her. So first question, what are the three inalienable rights guaranteed to all citizens of the United States by the Declaration of Independence? She smiled and said in her strong Salvadoran accent, I know this, life, liberty, and chasing Japanese people. So my dad naturally assumed that he hadn't heard her correctly. So he asked her to repeat what she'd just said, and she did very proudly. Life, liberty, and chasing Japanese people. By now, my dad was, as you can imagine, completely flummoxed. So he told her that she got two of them correct, but didn't understand that third one about chasing Japanese people. So she explained, and this is why I love language. Her husband, who I told you was also from El Salvador, speaks fluent English, but has a very strong Hispanic accent. So when he quizzed her on the questions, he told her over and over and over again, and I'll try to imitate it, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But when he pronounced that word happiness with his strong Hispanic accent, it sounded like the word japonés, which is the Spanish word for Japanese. So what she was hearing was life, liberty, and the pursuit of Japanese. You know, it's impossible for me to hear or tell stories like these and not smile. Language is part of the global fabric that ties us all together, and it also shines a light on the amazing and wonderful things that make us all unique. I'll do more episodes about language in the future. I hope you found this one interesting or at least fun, and I hope it makes you curious. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.